Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and again, grateful to share another episode with you today. Well, on today's show, I welcome my good friend, Father Josh Johnson, pastor of Holy Rosary Parish in Sanamont, Louisiana. I pray to God I'm saying that right. Father Josh is the host of the popular podcast, Ask Father Josh by Ascension Press, and was recently featured in an article on the website, Alicia.org. In this episode, we examine the causes for decline in weekly attendance at Catholic Masses in America. We briefly explain the reasons for geographically tied parishes and ask if that format is still the best for today. We discuss innovative opportunities for building fellowship in a parish, how to evangelize within a small community, and the importance of having a committed prayer life. I was really drawn to have this conversation with Father Josh when I went and visited his parish, Holy Rosary, and in seeing the article on Alicia and being able to just see and witness to the beauty of the work that he's doing there that hopefully will give all of us hope in being able to see a new way forward uh, when it comes to parish life. So when the show is done, please don't forget to leave a comment, write a review, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. All of those things tremendously help in being able to get the word out for the show. And just even for me personally, every time I, I see a review and I read it, I really pray for the person. I'm so grateful for everybody who has left comments and for all the, the, the great uh, feedback that I receive about the show. Since the show is honestly for you, my dear listeners. So share the show with your friends and your family, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Father Josh Johnson. Father Josh Johnson, welcome back to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Praise Jesus Christ. How are you? I'm doing great, man. So one of my early episodes, I think it's episode three. If you haven't listened to that one, listener, uh, go back and check that one out. It's a good one. We talk about his book, Broken and Blessed. So uh, today we're going to talk about something different, though. Let me connect it. Obviously, it's evangelization. But uh, fresh on the heels of this article that came out from the website Elitia.com, if I'm saying that right, if I'm not, someone please correct me. I apologize to, to the, the creators uh, and the organizers of the website, but I think it's Elitia.com. They named you, what, one of the 12 best Catholics in the world or something? Is that what it was? It was something. It was something like that. <laughs> yeah. 12 Catholics who will restore your faith in humanity. Mm. But who's memorizing the title? So. I mean, who's <laughs> paying attention to the details? That's what my deacon, uh, after mass, uh, whenever it came out, my deacon was like, oh, Father, I have something to say. And I knew he was going to say it because I was trying to like, you know, ignore it. He's like, I understand that you have been named. And then he just forgot. And he just looked at me like, help me out here. And I was like, the 12, whatever. And so everybody was like, clearly follow Josh. And he looked at that article more than once. Uh, but the one thing so, that was wrong about the article was it said that these people are very quiet. And you know me yes. for many years now. And I'm far from quiet. I, I sing. I'm yep. loud. Uh, I was singing earlier in the rectory. So uh, I am far from quiet, my friend. No, I'm well aware of that. So that's why we have you on the show. So yeah, clear up the rumors. <laughs> but one of the things that I what I loved about the article and the focus on you, the, the part that focused on you was that as loud as you are, obviously, and as vocal as you are with the podcast and as amazing as your podcast is, which is phenomenal. And if, if listeners don't know, check it out. The Ask Father Josh podcast comes out weekly, put out through Ascension. Phenomenal podcast. Um, as great as you are as a speaker and get invited to all the big conferences. Um, I know you were at the NCYC recently and at SLS and you've spoken at Seek. All those things are, are phenomenal in their own right, 
but the article didn't focus on any of it. What the right. article focused yeah. on yeah. was your, was your life as a pastor yeah. and the good work that you're doing here uh, in Sanamon, if I'm saying that correctly. Sanamon. Sanama. Sanama. <sighs> Whatever, Southern Louisiana. Yeah, Jesus. 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 We love Jesus. My, my DRE, she said, uh, she said, I don't know why people care. You know, Jesus is Jesus. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, who? Jesus. You know, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but it focused on that in the, the Full of Grace Cafe. Yeah, man. I love I love this parish. So, I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, doing doing that right there and revitalizing the parish. And so when I saw that, I said, okay, well, we have to talk. Because I've been here before. We're in your parish right now, actually, which is beautiful. We're sitting in your rectory having this conversation. And when I came here a couple months ago, the first time I came, you gave me the grand tour of everything you have going on here at Holy Rosary in, say it again. Santa Sanama. Sanama. Yep, you got it. It's per, it's spelled just for the there listener. Is, it's it's spelled Saint A M A N T. Saint Amant. And just so we're clear, there, there is no Saint Amant. There's a Saint Amant with a D, but there's no Saint Amant. And so it's like Saint Tammany Parish in yes. Louisiana. We just call everything Saint. So uh, you like Saint Mario or whatever, but like <laughs> well, there's, we hope someday there's a Saint Mario. Well, but they, well, well yeah, hopefully we're, we're, be not, one we're, we're not there yet. But. Um, uh, but I was just blown away, man. I mean, like, I love, I love what you have going on here. I love the energy. I love, love the the beauty, all, all the stuff. And we can talk about it all in throughout this episode. But really, just wanted to focus today's conversation on on the future of the Catholic parish and what does it mean, kind of looking forward. Okay. So before we kind of get there, um, I, I want to show. I want to talk about some stats. All right, and and you can agree or disagree with these, and that's okay. But according to a Gallup study that came out last year, or 2018, so we're in 2020 now, so it's been a couple of years that the study came out, it's been measuring, the, the Gallup has been studying um, weekly church attendance over the last 60 years, from 1955 to present age, as a present day, excuse me. And what we have seen is that although the number of, of the percentage of Catholics in America hasn't dropped, it's somewhere between 22 to 24% of people affiliate themselves as Catholic. That number has been that for the last 60 years. What we have seen is a dramatic decrease in church attendance. So in 1955, um, people were asked, did you go to church in the last seven days? And 75% of Catholics said yes. Now, 49% of Catholics say yes. And so we've seen a quarter Mm, percent. And when we look at even across demographics of ages, we see it across all ages. So even people... um, of course, when, when asked, have you when you ask Catholics um, who are in their their twenties, did you go to mass in the last seven days? Only twenty five percent said yes. But even when you ask people sixty and over, did you go to mass in the last seven days? Mm. Uh, only forty nine percent. So even people who are sixty yeah. and older, only only half of them. Okay, so so we see that that that's that's one issue that's affecting kind of the church and and kind of what's going on. But then. When we compare that, the, 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 the Gallup study compares that to the Protestant numbers and the Protestant numbers in terms of have they gone to church in the last seven days has pretty much stayed the same. So while the Catholics have seen a drop from 75 to, to, to 49%, the Protestants have stayed the same about, um, let me see, make sure I get my numbers right, anywhere between 42 to 45%. So excuse me, it dropped from 75 to 39%. So it's even lower than, yeah. than what I was saying earlier. So while Church is declining. We know that the nuns are on the rise. We know that a secularism has taken over. But Protestant churches haven't been hit as hard as the Catholic churches have with regards to weekly mass attendance or weekly church attendance. What do you think? Just as we start kind of the conversation right there. That's yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, 
I guess I can speak from just personal experience of walking with people yeah. um, who have left the church and, and are, are coming back home and asking them, like, what brought you home? Uh, and what most people share in the Catholic Church, what brings them back to the Catholic Church and why they left was because there was a lack of fellowship. There was a lack of community. And potentially the reason why the Protestant churches have stayed the same throughout these different statistics and polls is because the one thing that most Protestants do well is fellowship. Mm-hmm. They get community right. They get the small groups right, which essentially was the model of Jesus to focus on a small group of people and to accompany those people in relationship. And I feel like in many of our Catholic churches, we do a pretty terrible job of actually being friends with people outside of worship on Sunday. And we long for community. Mm-hmm. We were created for community. Uh, we long to belong. And so many people here have told me, you know, in the past, I didn't feel welcome in my own church. I didn't feel like anyone knew me, anyone cared about me. I only came to church for two things, to worship at Mass on Sunday and to drop my kids off at PSR. And that's all it was about. There was nothing else going on. And so whenever people are invited to a relationship with a specific group of people who they're accountable to, I think that that allows people to kind of stay. Yeah. Uh, and, And it draws other people as well. And we don't see that in most Catholic churches. No, no, we certainly don't. And I think I know there's a lot of movements, and we'll, we'll again we'll talk about this later. That's really moving towards revitalizing um, parish, small groups, activities, but but even just at an informal level, the cultural perspective. You know, when we speak of culture, kind of like what's the norms. And, and you're right, as as Catholics, we we tend to kind of stay within our pews and we shake people's hands that are next to us, and then that's it, and we move on. And I've joked with the boys, even, you know, like coming out of mass, as soon as we, as soon as we get in mass and we're starting to get back on the road, like everybody's cutting each other in the parking yeah. lot, you know, <laughs> so I said, there's no charity in the church parking lot, boys. Just remember that, you know, right. that's what I tell them, but it's being funny. So I, I think that's one angle of it, but I'm going to propose something else that okay. I've, as I've speculated on this, um, Catholics as, as a, as a tradition, as a church, we are very slow at rebooting. We're very slow at, re- at thinking outside of the box, at, at starting over. While Protestants, by, by their tradition, are actually the opposite. Right. And, and maybe, maybe one extreme isn't better than the other. So I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not, I know the Protestant churches and evangelicals obviously have issues, and we all have issues. Everybody has issues, right? So I'm not idealizing one group over the other. But part of their culture is, if it doesn't work, you, you, you church plant, mm. you know, you church plant. And yeah. so, so church planting as, as a missionary endeavor is, is part and parcel within the evangelical and the non-denominational churches. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if you've been looking at those numbers is how many churches closed in the last 50 years, Protestant churches, but how many new ones have come up that's just kind of recycled and yeah. kind of this newness, there's always this constant newness that has brought new life that has helped to keep those numbers kind of afloat as they have been. Well, I mean, the, the Catholic church, it's like, it's the opposite. People, when, when, once you have a church and it is what it is, you, no one wants to mess with any right. of it. No, Nobody, no part don't, of it. Don't touch with it. Don't, 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 <laughs> don't even polish the tabernacle. You yeah. know, if not, you're going to, yeah, you you're going to, you're going to cause a scandal. And that's going to be the biggest like scandal. Yes. In the church. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so mm. I, I, I don't know how much of that. And I could be speculating even beyond just kind of the, the, the fellowship, which is an element of it. Mm-hmm. But just when we think of like, well, well I, I agree with you too. So yeah, what, no, and what I do you agree. Think? I mean, when I, when I talk to, to, to people and other, other priests, sometimes they get stuck in, this is the way it's always been done. And so they're using the same old programs, the same models, the same methods, the same techniques that potentially many years ago bore supernatural fruit. Yes. And whenever they were first introduced to the parish, many people fell in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. But unfortunately, methods and models and techniques don't work. Jesus works. 
and we get so caught up in the method and following the model or getting the latest program that supports the method that we've been following. And it's not doing anything good for people's relationship with the Lord and drawing them to the sacraments and keeping them as real disciples. And so you're right. I think that sometimes we do get stuck in it's the way it's always been done. And so we have to do it this way, even if it's not bearing supernatural fruit. The worst is whenever it's not bearing supernatural fruit and we say, well, maybe we should do it more. Mm-hmm. If we offer this more, this thing that is not drawing anybody to Jesus, then, mm-hmm. then that's what's going to do it. And um, yeah, so you're right. Sometimes I think we do get stuck in our safety. You know, we should, you're you're the, the psychology background. Mm-hmm. So you can tell me why we're like that, why we don't like change. But uh, Catholic Church is typically yeah, don't want to don't want to be open-minded to, to doing new things to draw people to Jesus. Yeah. In, in those movements or programs or initiatives, they all have their place without a doubt. It's when we confuse the two though. And I think because we want everything to be at the level of, of capital D doctrine or capital T truth. And mm-hmm. it's like, this is the way to get youth involved in your parish. You have to follow this particular program, or this is the Catholic way of following marriage ministry or whatever yeah. it is. You pick, you pick your, your demographic and we have a program that meets them that it's like, well, it's a way, Yeah, you know, I, I life teen is born great fruit. Focus of born great fruit. But does every youth ministry yeah. have to be a life teen parish? Right. No. Does every <laughs> campus ministry have to be a focus? No, of course. Although they're doing good things. And what is that going to look like 20 years from now? Who knows? Because the Holy Spirit ebbs and flows throughout time. And how many religious orders and movements have come and gone because they met the particular need of for that decade time, yeah. for that particular time? That's how God works. And so we have to be a little bit more open, I believe, yeah. to the life of the Spirit kind of guiding us. And, and when we're not proximate to the people who we're walking with, like we're not going to know how to love them well. I remember Sister Tracy Duga, she told mm-hmm. me that when I first was yeah. ordained to the priesthood and I was sent to LSU. I was like, Sister Tracy, like, I'm, it's my first time being a priest. I've never been a priest before. What do I do? And she said, whenever you get to the parish, to the campus ministry, she said, make sure the bride knows she's beautiful and she's loved as she is. Amen. At first, love the bride where she's at, right? Don't just go in there and say, this is what worked in my last parish. This is what's going to work here. This is what this person says works and it's the best program ever. And so therefore, everyone's going to love it here because you're right. Everybody's unique individuals and we have to like spend time and take the time to get to know the person so we can know how do I feed this person? Uh, because you can't give steak to everybody. Some people you got to cut up in pieces and put some ketchup on it. That's right. But you got steak? I don't know. Uh, no, but I mean, it, I'm thinking about it right now, like that Ruth Chris juicy steak that you can go to once a year because of pre-simplicity. Um, it's more than me. Oh, man. I mean, like once every 10 years because of pre-simplicity that someone else pays for, by the way. We'll edit uh, or that part twice, out of the show. Or, twi- right, or twice a year. <laughs> or or um, I'll stop. I'll stop. Right. I'm sorry to get myself in trouble. But you're absolutely right. So we have to be... Um, intentional informing relationships with people in, in listening to, to where they are today. Okay. So again, not, not comparing and contrasting too, too much here, but if, if, if the Protestant churches are more to, um, are more open, certainly to church planting. And again, they have the, the stalwart first Baptist churches and the, the mainline traditional churches that have been around for, for generations in certain communities. But I'm thinking in terms of kind of the modern millennial, post-millennial, you know, kind of those, the new wave of these of these uh, non-denominational churches that kind of plant, they have some excitement, they may last for a few years, or maybe now, maybe they become a mega church, whatever. Contrasting that to kind of the Catholic model, which the Catholic model, over the course of the 2,000 years of history of the church, we have settled on a parish format. Yes. And the parish model is a geographic model. And so rather than planting a church into a specific area for the sake of 
kind of just doing it. Um, the, the, the whole world is broken up geographically into dioceses and then, and then even smaller, uh, subcategory of the parish line. And then the, there is a church that is the seed of, of the parish, um, where the geographic parish is supposed to come together and it is the, the, the um, responsibility of the parish to meet the needs of the geographic region. Is that right? Yeah. So obviously Jesus said in the gospels, go out and make disciples of all nations. Amen. And so when the apostles, the bishops and their successors go out to make disciples of all nations, that bishop of Baton Rouge can't cover and meet every single person in the diocese of Baton Rouge. And so that's why within the diocese, there are geographical boundaries with parishes so that his priests who represent him who are an extension of his ministry can go out and meet the needs, like you said, of those specific groups of people in that neighborhood or neighborhoods in that area of town uh, in the geographical boundaries. And then they can uh, let the bishop know what's best for those people in that community because each community is very different and has different needs and different desires and different ways that they're going to be able to receive the gospel and grow in relationship with the Lord. Okay, so we need priests. First and foremost, to do that. Priest, yeah. So part of the problem that we're facing now also is that there's a decline in, definitely in, a, shortage, in yeah. a shortage of priests. And so going back to thinking in the past, parishes that may have been formed 50 years ago when there was a larger number of priests, yeah. um, dioceses like your own and others certainly are struggling to keep up with the, the needs yes. of those parishes because there's a priest shortage. Right. So I'm just going to ask the, the question, is that model still the model that we need? I don't know. This is the part of humility, right? <laughs> of, of there are many things I I don't know. Um, I I have a lot of ideas. You know, I'm a I'm a creative type mm-hmm. of guy, and so I have a lot of ideas of what could work best uh, to to serve the needs. I, I think that this would also involve reexamining seminary formation if we're going to like address the needs of the future um, parish model. But um, I, I think too often what what happens is is a priest is sent to a parish um, or a cluster of churches. And so he has a much larger geographical boundaries of people who he's called to serve, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's like three parishes he might be a pastor of. Um, And the priest might take on personal responsibility for like, I have to be at everything and do everything and be involved in everything. Mm -hmm. Now we, we need to oversee everything. Like the bishop oversees the diocese, but I don't think, the idea that the priest should be at everything in his parish or be a part of everything is healthy. Mm. I think that the priest needs to look at two things. Number one, what is the one thing the priest can do well? Like what has he been ordained to do? Sacraments. Mm-hmm. Only he can do the sacraments. That's right. No matter how awesome people are in the parish, how holy they are, they can't administer the sacraments. So I think the first thing that prioritizes, I need to look at my geographical boundaries and Ask the question, how can I share the sacraments with this group of people, which might involve listening to them and finding out when they could best receive those sacraments. Um, And then to also, outside of the sacraments, look at his personal charism and say, all right, I probably have like three or four charisms that I received at baptism. All right, what's like the number one charism that I can like operate out of that can give me life and energy as, as a pastor or as a priest or however the bishop sends them to that parish. And then the rest discern the gifts of your parish and let those people come into those roles because they're going to be there before you while they're there and after you. So like empower them to like grow in discipleship and do the things that only they can do well. Mm-hmm. 
And that way you're not being stretched beyond your limitation. Because too often I see priests burn out and priests are unhappy because priests are literally doing everything. Um, and we don't have to. We shouldn't. Like We should be concerned with the salvation of our souls. And, and we, we can't be joyful, which draws people to Jesus, if we're um, burning out, extending ourselves, trying to be everything to everybody. Mother Teresa said the devil, he tempts good people with good things so that good people do so many good things that they can't do the one thing God wants them to do well. I think she got that from St. Francis de Sales, um, but she said it nonetheless. Uh, so I think quite often priests do a lot of good things for a lot of people who are in need, um, but they're, they're doing good things that we're not supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so if, if the parish model is to stay the same, then I, I think that because I don't know how that's going to change, if it's ever going to change, if it should change, could change or would change. But I do think we could change the way that we approach it as priests and as pastors and as lay people as well. Yeah, to some degree, it is evolving in the sense that if people have a certain liturgical preference, they'll drive across town to go to the church that offers the mass that they prefer. Uh, or if people are are more involved in a particular movement, they'll go to whatever church in their community offers that. Um, and but to be clear, those communities aren't responsible for for their um, salvation canonically the same way the geographical boundaries are. So you can go to mass anywhere you want, um, and you could be a part of any movement. Like, there's no canon law that says you have to go to mass in your geographical boundaries. It mm-hmm. says you're a parishioner in geographical boundaries, mm-hmm. and so that pastor is responsible for your soul, whether or not you come to his church or not. So. The same rule of say if you if if you want to go to a traditional liturgy, mm-hmm. um, the extraordinary form in your parish does not offer that. You can certainly go to the extraordinary form every Sunday, but your pastor in that pa- parish boundaries is still responsible for your cate- your catechesis for for your relationship with Jesus Christ to make sure you have the sacraments to make sure that you're a disciple. And so, and, and the same would apply for Protestants and and Jews and Muslims, atheists, agnostics, whoever is living in your geographical boundaries, that pastor is responsible for their salvation, whether or not they ever step foot in his specific uh, church building or not. Yeah. So that's the value of the parish right there. That's the value of the parish, yeah. It's the parish model as it has been traditionally mm-hmm. in, and understood is that when we when we um, assign a geographic region and a boundary, and we really say that you're responsible for all the souls in this boundary, I mean, that's more than just the Catholics that live that's in your huge. in your neighborhood. That, that's one thing Father Wayner emphasized so mm-hmm. much in Notre Dame Seminary when he came on board as our for our rector of the seminary, and he said that it just it totally transformed the way I viewed priesthood. He always emphasized like go to every business in your geographical boundaries and ask them if they want to be blessed. Like, and I mean, probably not every business. There might be a few might have to do exorcism outside of if it's like a strip club or something. But like go to every business, go to the hospitals, go to the nursing homes, go to the schools, whether they're Catholic, Protestant or public. Go and make sure that those people know that you're there. I mean, even me as a, as a priest, I've gone to the Protestant churches and like, hey, like, I'm, I'm, I'm the priest over here. Like I'm responsible for those Protestants in my geographical boundaries for their salvation. So I've gone to their church. I've even preached at one of their churches and, and, and share the gospel, share Jesus, invite people to the sacraments because I'm responsible. So I don't, on my judgment day, I'm not trying to go to the gates and have Jesus say, like, why don't you share me with this people? And me say, oh, but Jesus, like, when did I see you in those people? He's going to say, whenever you met that Protestant minister and you refused to ever invite them to the sacraments, you refused mm-hmm. to ever invite this person, uh, the, the neighbor of your friend who was hostile to the church, like you, you just let them be that way. Um, I think God's going to hold us accountable for who we invite to the sacraments and who we don't invite. And I think that there will be eternal consequences mm. um, for who we choose to share the joy of the gospel with and who we 
um, don't share the joy of the gospel with in our geographical boundaries. So there's a lot of responsibility that I think we aren't um, living up to right now um, as pastors and as parishes. Uh, I can't stand it whenever I see a, a big, huge, beautiful parish um, and in a very poor, low-income neighborhood uh, and the parish is dying and no one's in the parish in the church, yet the, the neighborhood has a lot of people. And on Sunday, you know, I might go visit a friend in, in his parish on Sunday. I see a bunch of people in the neighborhood hanging out outside on Sunday, but then at the church, I'm like, have you ever met those people, your neighbors to invite mm-hmm. them? No. Mm-hmm. Well, why not? Well, I mean, they don't, they probably go to the Baptist church. They probably go. Do you even know? Mm-hmm. Like go find out and invite them. That's your flock. That's who you're responsible for. Um, but so often we just totally uh, ignore that and we get caught up in our holy huddles and we minister to the people who look like us and who think like us and who pray like us and who act like us and who are showing up to us. But Jesus didn't say in the Gospels, um, stay and let the disciples come to you. He said, go out. But we're not doing that. We're not listening to Jesus. It's anyways. I've You're been good. ranting for. You're good. A few I'm, I'm just here, listening. But, I'm just. I hope everybody's taking notes and enjoying it because I'm just. I'm just. Well, hello. Preach, okay. Brother. Well, Acts Do chapter it. two. What's the first thing that happened in Acts chapter two? The very first thing that happened. Apostles are together. They're, they're huddled with each other. Yes. They all had three years of experience with Jesus Christ. So they all knew Jesus. They all had a personal relationship with Jesus. They all had encounters with Jesus. Saw some miracles. Fed the poor with Jesus in their small group. And were they bearing supernatural fruit? No, no, they were up in the upper room together mm-hmm. for nine days and the Holy Spirit comes down. And the very first thing that happened to the apostles when the Holy Spirit descended upon them was not, they didn't feel these great feelings, right? Um, they went out and they shared Jesus. They met people from all the nations, African descent, European descent, and Asian descent. Um, and they shared Jesus. They shared Jesus in their language, which means they must have because I think sometimes we read the scripture and we think everything happened like immediately. I'm going to presume it could happen that way, but I'm going to go ahead and presume that what if they actually went and listened to the people talk first, they heard their language, and then the Holy Spirit gave them that tongue to share the gospel with them in that language. So it wasn't like, oh, you look like you speak, you know, African, whatever. Like, no, like they actually listened to them. They listened to the people where they were at and they shared Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Go out. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, not some nations, not the nations that are rich, not the socioeconomic nations that, that are comfortable. He said, everybody. And the fruit of that, the fruit of Acts chapter 2, in my prayer, what I see in the word of God, the word inscribed, the book of Revelation, John, he wrote that the fruit of them going out and making disciples of all nations was when he saw heaven in the book of Revelation, where he legit saw heaven. He saw every people of every race, nation, and tongue. And the word nation is translated into um, ethnos, which is ethnicities. Mm. So he saw all that. So if my church parish, if my Bible study, if my missions and my retreat don't look like John saw heaven, yet the geographical boundaries that I live in do look like that, then there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I need to be praying and fasting and listening and learning how I can invite those people to Jesus, because if I don't pray fast and work for that to happen now, um, for my church to look like heaven, then maybe heaven's not for me. I mean, I don't know what to say. I don't, <laughs> you know, I like, don't want it. I don't want that. <laughs> I, I want my heaven to be. You know, nah, anyways, it's just. But that's no, the. I'm with you, man. That's, that's that's the that's the issue. The, the issue is discipleship. The issue of vocations is discipleship. The issue of vocation that that's the this this it's the core. Um, we're we're not going out to 
everybody. Like we're legit going out to people who we're comfortable with, people who look like us. So like, but that same rule applies for discipleship. If we disciple everybody and actually go out and share Jesus and and like like pray with people and teach people the spiritual life, the interior life, how to pray wherever we are sent, like those people, then from those communities, there the Lord will be able to communicate because people, if, if you pray well, you can hear God speak. You know, if, if you know the voice of God through prayer, uh, then, then you're going to be able to hear him and invite you to discern state of life vocations to the priesthood potentially. And there will be no vocation crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, we're, we're just focusing on, well, let's just go to the Catholic high schools. Like that's where our energy should be. Like those guys there. No, I say both in. Go to the Catholic high schools and immerse yourself in a relationship with those dudes there. But also go to the people who aren't even Catholic and invite them to the Catholic church. And then when they get the sacraments, they're going to be in a position to hear Jesus invite them because the greatest saints in salvation history were all formed in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Mother Teresa, Damien Malachi, John Paul II. And we're not inviting people to adore Jesus in the Eucharist. Amen. And yeah. Anyway, so what's your next This is great. I appreciate it. This is Dr. Martin. I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Father Josh Johnson to encourage you to find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. If you have any questions about anything you've heard on this episode or on previous episodes of the Always Hope podcast, that's the place to go ahead and ask them. Find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. Whatever questions or comments that you may have, I'm happy to receive them and being able to share them on future episodes or even just to email you back and have a private conversation about what might be going on in your life. So thank you guys guys for listening to this episode and let's get back into it. So, you know, obviously we've been talking about all this in theory and, and some encouragement here to people to really kind of get over themselves and, and, and look beyond kind of just their own bubble. But when I came here to your parish, I honestly, and I don't, I don't, I don't say this lightly, nor do I say this to, to, to inflate your ego, but I think it's what was highlighted in that article on the Alicia uh, website is that, honestly, my opinion is that this parish and what you've done here in the last few years is just one of the most forward-thinking parishes that I've ever encountered. I mean, when you toured me around the buildings and everything you're doing, I mean, it's it's really like spectacular. So I thought it'd be good just to maybe kind of talk about that a little bit in the show and kind of tell everybody like what all's going on here at Holy Rosary and like... How are you even able to accomplish everything that's being done here at the parish? God's grace. Yeah, I mean, Amen. And, and ultimately it comes down to two things, the interior life, like prayer, not only personal prayer, but communal yeah. prayer with my team, uh, then with the disciples in the parish. Uh, and then again, the team collaborating with people who have gifts that I don't have and recognizing that I am a necessary member of the body of Christ, but also a super limited member of the body of Christ. And so, um, yes, yeah, so when I was assigned here, the very first thing we did I guess backstory on the parish. The parish in 2016 went through a great flood. Uh, it destroyed like, I don't know if it was 85% or 90% of the community. So mm-hmm. not just the church, but like the geographical boundaries. Um, so the the church wasn't even available to help our own people out because the church was out of commission. And so um, after that happened and the, and the pastor who was here, he had some health um, issues that were going on. So he had to, to take a leave. And so the people were without a pastor. They were in a flood. Uh, their lives were destroyed. People died during this flood. Uh, all the buildings on campus were done. Uh, and so uh, less than a year after that, the bishop assigned me here. And uh, and so the first thing I did 
was I called a bunch of cloistered orders of nuns. I was like, hey, look, uh, I'm a I'm a 29 year old. I think I was 29 or something like that. Uh, can y'all pray for me and these people uh, by name? And uh, and so I got a bunch of different orders of sisters and intercessors, lay people who are intercessors to to pray for us and to mm-hmm. fast for us. Uh, then I reached out to the staff and I just asked them like, when are the sacraments offered? When's confession offered? Uh, do we have adoration going on in the church? What times are mass? And and so what we began to do is we began to scatter the mass times so that different people could be accommodated. So we have some morning masses, some evening masses, afternoon. Same thing with confessions. The confessions are um, happening um, Tuesday through um, Tuesday through Saturday, um, but different times, evening, morning, afternoon. Same with adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And so we, we, we just wanted to accommodate the people. And it was even beautiful. The staff got together and we prayed and they were like, maybe we should change the office hours too. And it was their idea. They're like, wow. you know, people come here during lunch, but we're on our lunch break. And so the office isn't open. So maybe we should move our lunch break as a staff to like later in the afternoon and be available to everybody in the community. So when they come by, we can actually minister to them. I was like, that's a great idea. So uh, there was a lot of listening that happened. And so one thing that a pastor friend of mine told me, he said, Josh, whenever you get to that community, um, he said, I would encourage you to do house blessings, which were, were great because people were just moving back into their homes. And so when I did the house blessings, uh, I asked the a question I said, what don't I know that I need to know about this community? What's your heart desires? And uh, a lot of people shared with me that they were so grateful for the ways in which people from all over the world helped them out during the flood who they never even knew. And they just wished that they could find a place and a way to give back to other people. Um, and Amazing. so I, I was praying with that. At the same time, noticing that our food pantry, uh, Ms. Rona Turo, she's passed away, but she started a food pantry 30 years ago. And the only place on campus for it was the back of the campus. It was the only place at the time. And so when the poor would come, they had to walk around back. And I just, I hated seeing the poor walk around the back. And we had an old rectory where the priest used to live in office space that was damaged in the flood. And I was like, why don't we renovate that? And the parish council said, no, we're going to demolish it. And I was like, no, let's like re-examine that. Mm-hmm. That could be a beautiful place for the poor. Um, and so... Whenever that idea started getting, it started, and again, not everybody was on board for that. Some people are like so against that. Like, we don't want poor people coming here. Like, what? You know, um, we don't want Jesus coming here. And, uh, but what happened is as people began to, to talk and share and we listened and pray with each other, we began to discern like different gifts that people had in the community that could be offered there. And so different people said, well, you know, like I, I cut hair. I, I'm retired barber hair. So I was like, maybe I could do that once a week. And then another person had a diaper ministry and another person had connections with lawyers and counselors. Another person was a Creighton fertility care specialist. Uh, We had all these different gifts being brought to the table, but even more gifts started arising as the idea was circulating because we, as a staff um, and as pastoral counsel and as finance counsel and as Catholic daughters and as Knights of Columbus, everyone, I spoke to each group and I said, we're all going to do the same thing. We have one mission in this church. Our mission is to make intentional disciples of Jesus Christ who are rooted in prayer. And so everyone got the same spill. There's one mission that we're going in, and here's the way we're all going to do it. As a staff, we're going to do small group Bible studies. As Catholic daughters, it's going to be the same Bible study. And after you receive, I want you to go out and give that same one you receive to eight more people. That way, everybody, I know they're on the same page. And so as this whole community now is reading the same scriptures, praying with the same word, um, growing in an intentional, consistent prayer life with Jesus Christ, more people began to surface. And eventually, uh, one of the first things we did was the Full of Grace Cafe. 
which has Bible studies now inside of there as well. We do meals every Tuesday and Thursday. We serve up to 300 people on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The poor and the rich sit together. We have Miss Ronatua's food pantry in there and we have a coffee shop. So that way when the poor come to the food pantry, we get coffee with them, we pray over them. I had a really cool story recently um, happened that one of my parishioners, she, her husband goes out to the homeless now, which he did not do before, but he now goes out to the homeless with our food from the cafe and brings it to them um, and prays with them. But she was at the grocery store recently and she saw this woman who was barefoot and had a baby and just looked really dirty. And she said, man, like, can I, you look like you're in need. Can I help you? And this was here at the cafe and this woman came? This woman was in the grocery store. The, I'm sorry. In the grocery and so store. my yeah. parishioner saw her there and yeah. was like, ma'am, my church can help you. Wow. Can I take you to our cafe? Because the cafe exists. And so she took her to the cafe and they brought her to the food pantry and got her some coffee and asked her and got her some diapers from the diaper bank and told her about the, the, the hair salon where they'll do her hair. And we have showers and, and we have counselors if you need a counselor. If you, we don't know what your, your legal situation is. So gave her all this stuff. Invited her to Bible study. And then they said, hey, can we pray with you? Now, again, these women are now disciples. So it's not like it's a service thing. Like these people, they're in small group every week in their own small groups um, at eight-week periods. So they're all disciples of Jesus Christ now. And they start praying with this woman. Well, another one of my parishioners was coming by that day to go to our gift shop because she wanted to buy a gift for a friend for confirmation or something like that. And uh, and so she and her son came to the gift shop. The gift shop didn't open to noon that day. And so they're in the courtyard hanging out. And... Uh, and she said, let's go get some, some utensils. And they walk in the, in the, in the cafe and they said, hey, you want to come pray with us and this woman? So she didn't even see who they're praying for. She said, sure. Starts interceding. And she looked down and she saw the woman was barefoot. And that morning in her personal prayer time, which again, the whole parish has committed to praying every morning, right? Not, not everybody doesn't do it, but we emphasize it every Sunday at Mass that I hope you're doing your prayer time in the morning. Her prayer time, she did do that morning. And in her prayer time, she was drawn to the feet of Jesus. Wow. And so when she looked at this woman's feet and they were dirty, she noticed her feet were the same size as her feet. And so she took off her socks and her shoes and gave them to this woman. And then she was walking around barefoot the rest of the day on our campus. Oh you know? my goodness. Um, and again, the woman's invited to come back and, we're, and we give her resources and stuff like that. But this is like the new way of our parish. Like yes. the people love the poor now. The people go out and find the poor and tell the poor, come dwell with us. We want you to be in our Bible study. We want you to be in RCIA. We want you to come in the church. So many people come back to the sacraments because of this. Not only the poor, the people who left the church because they just had a bad image of the church are now saying, I like what's happening there. I want to be a part of that. That looks yeah. like the stuff in the Bible. And so all these people who left the sacraments are coming back. Mass attendance went from being down to like 300 something the week before um, I was assigned here to like within weeks being up to like 1800 people. <laughs> and it's like, because these people are disciples and they're all going out now and they're empowered. It's not just me. What's happening is there's hidden intercessors, but there's also this, this thing of you are responsible. Like if I'm responsible as a pastor for everybody's salvation, you're an extension of my priesthood. Therefore you're responsible for your next door neighbor because they might not listen to me, a priest. They might not listen to me for whatever I'm a man, whatever it might be, but they'll listen to you. And so the parishioners now, it's just, it's part of their culture. It's part of their DNA to like go out now and invite people to fellowship, invite people to the Bible studies in their homes and here on the campus. And we are just witnessing it's over and over again. Beautiful. Supernatural. Yeah. Food. Yeah. Supernatural. So it's amazing. And what's amazing is that if, if listener, if you're, you're not paying attention here, I mean, he just rattled off like six things that happened at the parish from the, the food pantry to, to coffee, counselors, uh, creating practitioners, lawyers, uh, uh, diapers, uh, haircuts, 
Um, and that's not even including that the parish has this beautiful courtyard that now every Friday when it was football season, yeah. after the games, the, the local high parties. school would have fifth the quarter. fifth quarter. Fifth quarter would happen every, here. And it's, yeah. a, it's a public school, but it's everyone a public from the school. public school comes here Everybody. on Friday nights after. And we yes. have a DJ playing Christian music and we have our disciples going out, inviting people to Bible <laughs> studies and we have food available for them. But also that courtyard, that's a beautiful story. That was the very first thing we did here. So when I got here, uh, that was like beautiful trees. It, it was beautiful. It was these beautiful trees that uh, my pastor growing up, but he was the pastor. He he planted those trees with the parish and it was great. However, people wanted community and we had no place for people to hang out. The cafe wasn't open yet. And we just, we needed a place for people to have fellowship. And so um, just being a young zealous priest without going through the proper channels, probably I was like, you know what, we're just going to do a courtyard and we're cutting those trees down. And I just made the decision. This is the, We're going to do it because I hear what your, your desire is. I see this is the place for it to be and started cutting those trees down. And it was actually funny that that pastor came by to visit for a funeral one day. And he said, oh, my goodness, where are my trees? And I was like, well, bro, they gone. But so we, we cut the trees down got a, a local person in the community to, to lay the cement down. We got the, the, the bill. Now, again, I just got here. So the, the, the budget was done by the previous um, deacon who was running the parish and the leadership team. And it wasn't part of the budget to do this, this courtyard. So it was just like, I trusted that my prayer was on whenever I perceived the Holy Spirit. say so go, I was like, God, if I'm messing up, I'm gonna repent, but I believe you want us to do it. And a person came in the office I'm after we got the, the the bill and I was like, oh man, the bill, like, ooh, that's more than I thought, you know, whatever. And uh, it, was, it was actually, it was a great price, by the way. It was a very generous price, but still I'm super cheap. So it was more than a cheap man thought. And, uh, but super generous. So I'm clear. I want, I want more, I want more cement. And, uh, and a person came in the office and they were like, hey, I just felt called to write this check. And wow. they wrote a check for the same amount of money that that Amazing. bill was. And so when that's I saw amazing. that happen, I was like, okay, Lord, right, Lord let's just trust this. you with the We're next wrong. and the next. And so it's just been every project uh, that we've been doing. And one of the other things you're going to notice at the church and the cafe and the different buildings on our campus, there's diverse images of holiness everywhere. Because mm-hmm. I want everyone who comes to church here to see a saint that looks like them. Yeah. So there's the saints from Europe, Africa, Asia, South America, and they're everywhere. There's diverse depictions of Mary and of Jesus all over the campus because when people come here, they need to see that I can be a saint too. And, and like, that's the goal. So the goal of this discipleship stuff, the goal of the Bible studies, the goal of the service, the goal of the community, the fellowship is, is to become saints, to abide with Christ forever in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, and so you integrate beautifully both the, the human material needs that are there, yeah. food, coffee, just a physical space to hang out. I mean, just the basic stuff. Yeah. Which some parishes do very well. Yeah, praise God. But sometimes, and no judgment to anybody, but sometimes it seems that they do that very well, but then they don't connect it to the spiritual needs, which then some parishes do that very well in terms of Bible studies, the the latest uh, video series on Formed or whatever else that they're pulling stuff mm-hmm. from, which is great too. But sometimes it seems like they're 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 separate in terms totally. of like which one do we take a precedence over because we can't have both. But you and, can. <laughs> but you can. And but I think can. what you're doing here is that you you see beautifully that you have both. And so And it's the team. But again, I have to always emphasize and I always say this like even when the when the article, the twelve influential Catholic people, whatever, came out. You know I, the title. Okay, come the, come the tw- on, you know what it is. Don't, don't be cute. Who right will now. restore your faith in humanity? <laughs> uh, and, you know, but when that, when that article came out, the very first thing I wanted to make sure I did was acknowledge, like, I'm super grateful that people are like recognizing the beautiful things happening in the parish, but it's not just me, it's the team. I'm the visionary, I'm the pastor, I give the vision, mm-hmm. but like, legit, it's the body of Christ, the people in the community 
who are there all day, every day. It's those, like, I'm not there early in the morning in the food pantry, and I'm not there late at night cleaning up the toilets after everybody's been in using yeah. our stuff all day. It's the people in the parish who are doing all of those Amen. work, those good works, because, like, that's their role in the body of Christ. And I'm not trying to do their role. Mm -hmm. I'm being the priest. I'm going to come in, hear he confession, be present to different things, and then I'm going to bust out. And they're the ones who are helping. Like, they're, they're, they're so beautiful. That's why I'm just so grateful, because I'm like, Lord, like, this is how it should be. This is how priests should be. Every, every priest should have a team of people. And, and it happened in prayer. Before I was assigned here, the scripture that came to me one day, whenever I was just really burnt out, a scripture came to me was from Exodus, um, whenever, uh, man, gosh, uh, what was it, Exodus? But it was it was in Exodus whenever Moses was complaining to the Lord. He said, I can't, I can't do this anymore, Jesus. Um, was it Exodus, or number, Numbers 11, Numbers 11, Numbers 12. And Moses was crying out to the Lord, and the Lord said, I'll give the spirit I gave you to 72 others. And truly, the Lord has given me a team of disciples um, who I call my staff. My staff are disciples, and I trust them, and I'm vulnerable with them, and, and we pray together. And I allow them to let me know, Father Josh, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I don't fire them for telling me I'm wrong. And I, and I, I ask them, we do this thing called caffeinated conversation. So I get coffee with each person on my staff every month. So every week I'm having coffee a couple of times a week with different staff members. And they let me know where they're seeing supernatural fruit in the ministries in the parish and where they're not. And they also let me know how their prayer is going. Uh, they all are expected to do a holy hour every week, come to daily mass and fast for each other, um, as well as we do team prayer every Wednesday. But um, but I also asked them in those meetings, how am I doing as your pastor? Like, cause I know, I know I'm not perfect and I know I offend them. I know I hurt them. And so like time and time again, they're like, Oh, father Josh. Yeah. You know what? You, you didn't communicate well again. And again, <laughs> you know, you, 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 you scheduled something, didn't tell us. And that made us look bad from the people. You know, I'm like, I am so sorry. I had no idea. And I've been working on it. But like, so we're vulnerable enough with each other to where they're free to straight up let me know like where I can grow in discipleship and in my relationship with the Lord, which I think has just been very helpful because like, you know, I, I, you know, I know I ain't got my stuff together. You know, yeah. I, need, I need them. And so they are disciples and because they are rooted in prayer and rooted in the sacraments and discipleship, we're seeing the fruit. And I'm just like, I'm along for the ride. Amen. Amen. But I mean, like you've set a standard and everything is done at a high quality. So even these pictures we talked about the saints, I want everybody to know that they're beautiful. There's scripture verses or, yeah, or catechism verses all over. The aesthetics of the grounds are, are are phenomenal. Even in your little bookstore you just showed me before we yeah. started the interview that you just started. Looks like a little boutique type store. Yeah. I mean, it's not like your little rinky-dink, no offense, you know, a bookstore. I mean, yeah. it's got little gifts and trinkets <laughs> and beautiful things and everything from books to cute rosaries to yeah. things you hang on the wall to exercise, yeah, salt and water. Everything. I mean, everything, everything. And it just all looks well done. And we're not in the middle of Baton Rouge. We're not at the richest parish in the diocese. Yeah, no, this is not the richest parish at all. I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. Sorry to the people of... But this, you can say that, but I would say a word I got in prayer, which again, and this is uh, a word I perceived in prayer. That is bad language. I did not get this word in prayer. That is yeah. so unhealthy. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for correcting me. Um, a word I perceived in prayer, because I'm not infallible, um, hashtag immature Catholics. Um, so... <laughs> A word I perceived in prayer one time was that this would be a bayou of saints. Yeah. This place. And I, Beautiful. This bi like, on this bayou, we will have many people who live lives that are canonizable. Yeah. And so I just, I trust that the Lord is doing his thing right now. Yeah. But so I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is because so often there seems to be um, a, a question of, well, the parish doesn't have enough money or, oh, yeah, yeah. or these other things, which are, I get they're certainly, they're, 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 they're realistic. But at the same time, what I hear and what you're speaking about is just 
even in a community like this, that when you came and took over, 80% of the houses or the yeah. community was just destroyed was because terrible. of the flood. Yeah. Even in the midst of that, there's just un, untapped potential for the people. And I'm thinking of the verse, and again, at, of just without a vision, the people perish. Amen. Yeah. And that sometimes, sometimes it just takes somebody to come in to say, that's the direction we're moving in. And yeah. are you all with me? Yeah. And people and usually some, are and like, some yes. people will leave. And people will leave. And like, I had to experience like that not everybody was on board and that's okay and i think sometimes we let that stop us well well this group of people might get mad well let them be mad but if we're following the lord jesus christ people got mad at him too and they're going to either get on board here or hopefully they'll go to a different parish but um but yeah but one of the things that i saw that helped the people in my community be okay with some of the changes because again change like you said in the beginning of the show a lot of people struggle with change so one of the things that we we did at the advice of again people on my team so it was their wisdom um but it was like why don't we go to other parishes that are doing things differently that are that are bearing supernatural fruit why don't we take pilgrimages and road trips to other church parishes and see what they're doing that's different and so we began to do on saturday mornings different parishioners brooklyn teams and would take groups of people from the knights of columbus to the ladies auxiliaries to the catholic daughters to the men's groups and men of the cross to whatever groups there they were and would say this week we're going to take our group and we're going to go see this other parish that's doing things radically different and that's bearing fruit. And then when they saw it, they were like, oh, so, oh, we, we can do something different. You know, there is another way. We don't have to stick to what we've been doing, especially when what we've been doing isn't bearing fruit. And so now we get together um, twice a year and we ask the question out of all the stuff we're doing, what is bearing supernatural fruit? Like what's drawing people to the sacraments? What's bringing people to Jesus? What's helping people break away from mortal sin and what's not? And what is doing, should we keep it the same, enhance it? What's not doing, do we get rid of it or how can we reform it? And if we do choose to reform it, then for how long are we going to try to reform it before we say it's just not that season anymore, right? Um, and so it brings everybody on the same page. And even the other day, one of my teammates said to me, we were talking about something and she said, but father, how is that bearing supernatural fruit? And I was like, you're right. It, it's not. Change the subject. Change like it's, So it's become a culture where people are always looking for that, that, that answer. Where is it at? Where is the fruit at? We're trying to answer that question um, because that's what we're because we legit are concerned with the end. The end is to become saints um, and we become saints in this community um, by leaning on every member. And that's another one more thing. Important thing is to like be OK with people who are different and who are like right now currently living in mortal sin and invite them to your Bible study and invite them to, to do different ministries that obviously not like don't invite them to be extraordinary to Holy communion. Right. Right. Like invite them to be a part of like the haircut ministry or the, the food pantry ministry or the cooking ministry, because that's, what's going to make them comfortable to come back to the sacraments eventually. And so like, sometimes we're like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like you're in an irregular marriage. You can't do anything with this. Like, no, no, that's not the way of the gospel. I cannot tell you how many people's marriages have been sacramentalized. How many annulments we're knocking out right now? We have an annulment team now, too, because I was like, I ain't doing all that. So we have a whole team of people who do that. But like all these things are happening now because people are welcome to come as they are. Like, just come. Come to praise nights in the cafe. Come to adoration. Come to fifth quarter. Um, I can't tell how many Protestants are converting. It's because we're welcoming people as they are in their mess. We have one young lady who's a nun. One young lady came back to church. Her mother was very sick. She moved back home. She was a nurse. Came back to the community. Uh, had not been to Mass in forever long. Came to Mass. Really liked what she saw. 
felt welcome by the people, kept coming back, got plugged into a Bible study with two other women, just two women, because it was like the only time that worked for them was this time of the day. And after that Bible study, got a spiritual director, became a woman immersed in the sacraments of the church, and uh, then perceived in adoration, Jesus proposed to her, and now she's a Carmelite up north. Um, awesome. Because she was welcomed That's it. as she was. Invited to participate in ministry in the cafe. She was a nurse, so she did her nursing in there. It was like, it was so beautiful. And I just, I, I'm like, y'all, like, be okay with the mess. Jesus dwells with messy people. So I accompany people in their mess. And I promise if you stay with them, eventually in our lifetime or after we're in heaven, like conversions are going to happen. So if we could just kind of nail down some of the, the qualities here. Yeah. Um, because I think that's that's something that could be a takeaway for folks is, all right, if, if a priest is listening to the show or a parish minister is listening to the show and thinking, okay, what, what are some qualities or some steps that we can follow? It sounds like the very first thing you did was A, unite everybody in prayer. Yeah. And remind everybody that the central mission of what we're doing here is not raising funds. No. The central that mission. That will come. That will come. That will come. <laughs> it will come. I'm not saying it's not important. Money will come if you're rooted in Jesus. That's He'll it. make it happen. But the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to form intentional disciples of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ and we're going to preach the gospel and Amen. we're going to lead people to conversion. And practically that happens on a staff by like looking at your staff calendar and every week praying together. Yes. And then even like as a staff picking up, like asking the pastor, like, Father, can we each do a holy hour? Because Mother Teresa, when the community did holy hours as MC sisters, their vocations um, exponentially multiplied um, and the poor they're able to serve also multiplied. And so to like prioritize prayer over work. So we can show Jesus that we trust him, that all the work that's coming from our our our, our ministries is rooted in, in the interior life. It's rooted from him. And so it's like have a schedule of when can we do a holy hour as team, paid and unpaid teammates. And then the priest as well, for the priest to be vulnerable with his staff and say, here's when I'm going to do a holy, if you can't do a holy hour, holy 30. Like, but here's what I'm going to pray. Spend time with Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, first of all, like be practical. So we have a staff board, actually. And in my office, we have a huge chalkboard. board. And has everyone's name on it and has when they're going to daily mass, when they're doing their holy hour, when they're doing staff prayer together on Wednesdays and who they're fasting for that week. And that way we can all see it. So if you and I are hanging out in the office and I'm like, oh, shoot, Mario, it's six o'clock a.m. Mm-hmm. It's your holy hour time. Mm-hmm. We can't talk anymore. And so we're able to help each other be faithful to that prayer because by, by ourselves, we can't do it. And so to come up with practical tools and practical things that can help the pastor, the team and the leadership, RCA directors, people who are maybe aren't even paid help them to commit to a prayer life that they can do. So again, not everybody's called to Holy Hour, Holy 15. Just time with Jesus that's conducive for you, whether it's the rosary, the the scriptures, adoration, walking and talking to God, praise and worship, whatever it might be, but be consistent with whatever it is. Um, But encouraging people in that. And I've worked for the church my entire adult life. mm -hmm. And I can tell you, no one's ever asked me by any institution I've worked at, how's my prayer life going? And that's, that's, that stinks. It does stink. Sad. <laughs> it is sad. And I've worked in multiple, multiple yeah. organizations. And so even when I sneak time away, sometimes I'm like, man, am I, I've gotten over this. Now I know it's, yeah. I need to, I need to have my prayer time for, yeah. for sure. But it's like, am I taking time away from my job because I'm praying? Although my job is ministry, so it shouldn't be a competition yeah. to one another. But that, that, that is not the norm in no. terms of being supported at any level that, uh-huh. that lay people should be encouraged to, to pray yeah, is, man. is, is, Absolutely. And that's important. the foundation of peace right there is the prayer. Yes. It's the prayer. It's And then also, like you said earlier, it's the, the mission. What the people without a vision will perish. And yeah. so having a clear vision, like, like okay, if you're working in a parish, sure. okay, look on your website right now 
if your mission is like a paragraph long, like delete that right now. <laughs> like that's the that's that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like if you if you can't tell me in in an elevator ride from the first floor to the second floor what your parish mission is, then you need to start over from scratch because the gospel gives us the mission. It's make disciples of all nations, make disciples of Jesus Christ. And what and that so, looks like in your particular geography, going back to that, right, yeah. is is whether is where the, the interpretation is gonna be. Yes, right. But you need to know What's the vision and make sure everybody's on board, like everybody. So you have your different groups in your parish. You have your um, ladies altar society and your Mary, whoever this is, and your St. Joseph, whoever mm-hmm. this guy, whatever. You have the men's groups, women's groups, young groups, adult groups, like everybody have everybody on the same mission. So like when we came here, we initially focused on, and I do a lot of youth events. I do youth conferences. So everybody mm-hmm. was like, oh my gosh, Father Josh is going to like do all stuff for the youth or whatever. The first thing I, I focused on was the adults. It was the men and the women. Because I figured if I can get the adults to become disciples, then I'm going to have way more disciples to now help me minister to all these kids. And that's what we have now. But even the kids, they do the same Bible studies as the adults for their PSR. Like So the high school PSR will do the same stuff the adults have done. Again, so everybody's on the same page. Yeah, we're all it's one vision. So we're trying to bring everybody together. Because some, yeah. some of the some of the the effects of having all these various programs is that it's caused uh, parallel parishes within yes. within yeah. one church. And so we've had some fragmentation, which has been, again, an unintentional consequence. I mean, I understand there's good intentions in having youth-specific events and, and, and kids-specific stuff. But when everybody's kind of on their own track, it becomes another obstacle of bringing unity. So, so that's the third thing, then, is if we talk about prayer, the vision, well, the vision, prayer, and then wholeness, really, mm-hmm. in the sense of like, how do we bring everybody together so we can have all these various groups yeah. Which is phenomenal because we need a knights, we need a men's group, we need a women's group, we need all these different things. But how do we get everybody to at least be on the same page yeah. in terms of what we're trying to accomplish here in the parish? Yeah. And so practically, that also looks like taking time as a leadership team. And, and so that have to be the priest done all by himself, but like literally right. going out to each group and making sure that everybody's on this, the, the, the same page. And so that way you can have your charismatic group over here and you can have your rosary group over here, but they both know that like what they're doing is in support of this vision, this mission. Um, and so it just, it helps everybody to walk in the same direction. And that has helped out tremendously. And it's even helped some of those groups grow because everybody knows if I go to this group, they're not doing their own thing. They're following the same mission, but just in the context of a bunch of women who are this, or men who, who feel called to this. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's very simple. It's, very it's, simple. it's Jesus. It's leaning on the people. It's discerning charisms. And then, and letting people just do their thing. And then when it doesn't bear fruit, just pull it back. And if it does bear fruit, then do it more, you know? Um, yeah, but so, but then that's the last piece of like trusting your people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen everywhere either. I'm sorry. Well, I, and, and that might be the, because of, I mean, we all have our own, we're not going to, you know, your own wounds sure, and stuff. But sure. like, but I think that if we can be vulnerable with God in prayer, the, the way that we pray will affect the way that we live mm. and the way that we minister. And so if I can like, be super vulnerable with Jesus in prayer. I can be appropriately vulnerable with my staff. And then through my staff and my team, whoever they may be, it may be different people. Uh, then we can be vulnerable with our people and let them know, like, look, here's my my trust issues. I was at a parish before where stuff hit the fan and it went really left. You know, but like there, there's an appropriate way where we can communicate what's really going on to our people without being like um, a manipulative or an emotional wreck who needs to go to get counseling and go into an IOP or something like that. Uh, but we might need that still. That's Intensive good. outpatient is, um, I hope. Right. Just, and and just, you just might need that for other things too. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, like, like, I, I might go there one day for something. And not right now, but who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah. 
So yeah, it's just it's very simple, man. It's just about if 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 we can let the Lord love us and our stuff, and we can trust that it's His parish and we're doing His work, then it's all it's all gonna work out. And um, yeah, so as we're bringing this back, then you know the the model isn't broken. Is what you're saying? You can thrive within yes, within. That's G- actually you gave giving me hope. Yes, the model works. The church, <laughs> way to go, church. Way to go, people before us. We stand on the shoulders of giants. No, yeah, the model is, yeah, the model can work anywhere. It just depends on whether or not we're open to the spirit of God. Look at that. You just, was this counseling? Was this counseling? <laughs> no, did man. You, did you just psychoanalyze? Oh my, I feel so violated right now. I feel vulnerable. I feel, I feel seen. I feel heard. I feel loved. Good. All of those things. So, uh, kind of a couple final questions here, but it's hilarious. But thinking about, okay, so knowing that it does work, it does how work. then do we kind of reconcile that with the digital age? Oh, amen. You know, the digital age is, 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 um, it's breaking apart our notions of subsidiarity mm-hmm. and notions of neighbor as well. That now is it, it might be closest to the people who think like me and, mm. and follow the same things I follow mm. in social media, or are they the people who literally live next door to me? Wh- which one is it? And so mm. then how does a parish thrive within those type of no- thoughts and, and norms of what relationships are? Am I making sense? Yeah, you are. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know, man. Well, I think that they're, 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 I mean, we're, now we're yeah, just speculating so, so for the sake spe- of it. Speculating. Yeah, I mean, speculating I, I think for fun, that yeah. when the gospel says to like love your neighbor, uh, I think that Jesus was also speaking about the person right next to you, like your mm-hmm. little neighbor. And so I think it's easier for us sometimes to say, well, my neighbor is on social media because I'm not, I don't have to like deal with them when I don't want to deal with them. I could deal with them when I log on, but I don't have to deal with them. If I don't want to. So I think that, but there's always the both end, like, you mm-hmm. know, like they are our neighbor now d- yeah. d- digitally, but, um, so well, I mean, like your Catholic show reaches both, all over, right? And you so get people, listeners that are listening to you from all, is, all over. And so like, I think that the parish could do, cause like one of the gifts of the podcast, my podcast is that we promote it as a parish. And so people who aren't Catholic listen to it in my geographical boundaries, apart from everywhere else. And so when people come back to the sacraments, I always ask them, what brought you back? And a number of people have said, I heard your podcast, right? And so we can use things like podcasts, but like, if you're going to do it, like use it for it. So like I'm doing a um, a youth event next month and we're doing my podcast, Ask Father Josh live for the whole parish. So the whole parish can come to it. We're going to speakers set up and we're going to let the parishioners ask the questions. So I'm I'm even not only doing the podcast, but which is impacting them, but I'm inviting them to be a part of it. It's their thing too. But but so social media is one of those like good things and, and, and it can be used by evil. But I mean, even we use a parish app where we, we send text messages to our, all of our parishioners all the time about what's happening in the parish and also like these prayers and scriptures. Uh, and so we upload the homilies online, those things like that. And so we, we can use it for our good. But I think as far as like the way that people, what I'm noticing is that sometimes we're exposed to things that we might have never been exposed, not have ever been exposed to before because of social media, because of YouTube, because of some things that I mean, I personally as a pastor, I'm concerned with some Catholic movements. Some people in the Catholic Church who have podcasts and who have YouTube channels and who have books and whatever, and they say some things and do some things that um, I feel like are dangerous for my people. And so, um, some of our people hear that, and then, anyways, I feel like I'm getting going off on a different, you know, whatever. But it's true, and it's something that's a concern for me. It's like, all right, you know, like how do I address this? Because again, like just like they can get really good stuff that helps them to become virtuous men and women and disciples of Jesus, they can also listen to stuff that can make them. Um, not make them, but that can lead them to become 
very uh no i hear what you're saying i hear what yeah, you're saying which is that and hateful and you want to be sensitive to where your, your people are and so you want to be in that space yeah and listening to what they're listening to so you know what needs to be responded to right yeah which again goes back to the responsibility of of, of the parish and, and knowing our people you know? and knowing your people yeah. and listening to them so so where do we go from here jesus <laughs> we love jesus <laughs> We pray. No, where to go from here is we go to I mean, Jesus and we pray more. Yeah. And we, as listeners, hopefully your listeners, like stop right now and say, did I give Jesus Christ sufficient time in prayer today? Did I give him into, or, or was I so rushed with everything that I said, I'm going to do it later. And I know when I say I'm going to do it later, later it's never going to come. So I think that we have to like start there ourselves um, and then trust that if we are rooted in a personal living vital relationship with Jesus Christ as the catechism of the Catholic Church invites us to, that the Holy Spirit will communicate to us and will draw us to do whatever little things we are invited to do in the scheme of eternity and our walk toward heaven. Um, so I would just say, start with prayer right now and say, all right, Lord, like, uh, how's my relationship with you? And like, in that, just did I pray today? But like, how much time did I give to you, Lord? And it's not about the time limit, but like, it, it, that is important to look at. How much time do I give to sports and how much time do I give to other good things that God wants us to enjoy? Um, and, and how much time did I give to, to just scrolling through Facebook and scrolling through Twitter and going from podcast to podcast? And how much time did I legit give undistracted time to Jesus? And when we do that, he orders everything for us and for our community. Amen. So, Amen. Well, that's a great way to, to end the show. So I didn't ask you this question last time, but it's the question I do ask all my guests. Ooh, this is interesting. Go ahead. Father Josh, what gives you hope? You. I hope you're talking about Jesus. You're the body of Christ to me. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Jesus in me. Thank you. Yeah. No, what gives me hope is, um, I think, uh, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, obviously, Jesus gives me hope. But uh, seeing transformation happen, like, what gives me hope is seeing what God has done here with this specific group of people and this geographical boundaries has helped me to believe that God can form saints anywhere in any time in history. And it, it just, like, I believe that the skies are the limit. Like in, um, I mean, I could be here for 12 more years or 20 more years, but if I ever go anywhere else in the future, like I, I believe that there's nothing impossible for God with regards to like helping people become saints, because I see it. Like I, I've seen it happen. I've seen people go from being in mortal sin to being the most virtuous, like literally being nowhere near the mountain to be on top of the mountain. And I'm still like climbing up the mountain on the base. And I'm like, dang, like they, they have, they have gone to the unitive stage. And I'm still in the purgative Lord. Like when can I get, you know, beyond that? But, um, but like I see it and it gives me so much hope that like salvation is possible for everyone in any circumstance, in any place. Uh, and I think that's that's what gives me hope is seeing it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, God bless you, Father Josh. Thanks, man, for coming on the show. Such Thanks a blessing. for being my friend. Always such good. Yeah. Thanks for being my friend. <laughs> All right. Be good. Bonus material. Here we go. Back on the show. <laughs> Father Josh was dropping something at me. Yeah. So, yeah. hey. Hey, guys and girls. But basically, if you look in the scriptures... Like the, the, the word of God is the manual for all of our parishes and dioceses and chanceries and whatever. We hope. But, oh, it should be. Should be. Should be. Yeah. Hashtag it's not. Hashtag in not many always. Places. 
they don't even know Jesus in some places, but it's okay. They That's know about right. him. We keep so going. They, they don't know. Anyways, long story short, in the Acts of the Apostles, the early church was devoted to four things. They're devoted to fellowship, to prayer, to breaking the bread, and to the teaching of the apostles. And so essentially, if Say we it, at, slow that down. Say it okay. again. Who? <laughs> now we got Father the, Josh singing. Finally, at the end of the show. Yeah, Here we go. yeah, yeah. This is why you tune in for the bonus part. Uh-huh. So... The early church, the apostles were devoted to four four things, four, four things. areas. They were devoted to prayer, prayer, to breaking of the bread, breaking of the bread, and worship. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, and they were devoted to fellowship. And so, whenever we look at our parishes and our dioceses and our communities, I think we should examine them through the lens of those four areas: is do we emphasize and do we devote ourselves to prayer as a priest, a pastor? as a leadership team and staff and as a parish community, do we devote ourselves to worship? Is the, is the Sunday experience our priority or is it something that just kind of happens and we let it happen? Are we devoted to it? Are we devoted to studying the teachings of the church, the apostles, by studying the scriptures and tradition and magisterial teachings? And are we devoted to fellowship? Like, am I, am I intentionally trying to make my parish a place and a space for people to grow in relationship with each other outside of the Sunday experience of worship. And so how can, as a lay person, how do I commit myself to that then? Even when, certain, even when things are beyond my control, there's obviously a certain yeah. responsibility for priests yeah. to be able to inculcate that among their parish. But I've learned long ago that I just have to know my lane. Amen. And Amen. so I can't get frustrated by what Father So-and-so is doing or not doing. Oh, praise God, you like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm getting there. You know, I'm not always there, but you know, today, thanks, thanks but today honesty. I'm pretending to be there, yeah. you know, at least for the show. So thanks. I love that mask you're wearing. Um, no, so I, I do think, and the best things are always organic. So I always tell people when they're like, Hey, you know, my pastor is mm-hmm. like very close minded to this. I always say, well, do it in your home first. Mm-hmm. He can't tell you what to do in your home. Like I cannot tell any parishioner what they can and can't do in their home. Um, and so, I mean, well, I mean, I could advise I mean, you not to do certain things. Yeah. Like, I was going to say, like, there's some like, things you can tell them not to do. Don't do your own masks and don't have adultery. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't look at pornography in your home. Yeah. Um, Those or, are good things. Anywhere, yeah. I, I guess I should say that. You can right? say that to your oh, parents, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, anyways, no. So I would say organically, like what you could do right now as individual is work on the five W's, and with regards to those four things. So the first thing is look at worship. When will me and my family go to worship next Sunday? Where are we going to worship? What are we going to offer up as an intention? Who will hold us accountable? And why are we worshiping? Well, because a family that prays together stays together. Then look at prayer. When can I spend time with Jesus Christ on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Um, where will I spend that time with Jesus in my living room? Um, what am I going to do? Lexio, the rosary, praise music, adoration, talking spontaneously, whatever it might be, A-R-R-R, all those different beautiful methods. Who will hold me accountable to that time with Jesus and why? And put that on the calendar. Then the next thing to look at would be with regards to church teaching. When am I going to read a spiritual writing of a saint? When am I going to read the catechism of the Catholic Church? When am I going to read an encyclical from Pope Francis, John Paul, Benedict, or whoever it might be? Where am I going to do this at? Um, what what am I going to do to to stop myself from being distracted against doing other things that might be more entertaining? Um, and who will hold me accountable and why? And then finally, uh, with fellowship, when am I going to intentionally reach out to people in my community for coffee um, and for just hanging out and for being? Because remember, when St. Paul, even when Jesus, when Jesus abided in relationship with the apostles, he didn't just... Uh, do miracles and serve the poor. He did road trips with them. He climbed mountains. He shared meals with them. He went to parties the wedding at Cana. And so we need to be very intentional 
about first and foremost, like if you're married, your domestic church, when am I going to date with my wife or my husband and where and what are we, whatever. If you have kids, when are we going to have family time apart from the screen um, and then outside of your domestic church, uh, your other people and your geographical boundaries? When am I going to reach out to my neighbor who I've lived next to for the past three years and I've never gone to their house yet? Like when this week am I going to do that? Uh, where? There's two houses. Pick a house. What am I going to bring them? You know, a pie or a beer? Uh, who's at home accountable and why? And so we could do that organically um, as individuals first. And then typically what happens in the church with any major movement is it began as a, a small um, thing and the, the, the diocese or the institutional church recognized it and said, that model is working really well. Can we please uh, make it a program to share with other people to try out in their places too? And then I think pastors will get on board when they see other people want to do it as well. That's a lot of W's. WWW. WWW. Do it all. Do it it's all. beautiful. But yeah. Take initiative. Take the initiative. And get off your. I'm sorry. I can't, say, off, I can't say that on a family podcast. Yes. Get off of your high horse. How about that? There you go. Rear. How about that? Get off of your stool. Your stool. Like we're I'm, sitting on I'm right sitting now. I'm sitting in the stool right now. Stool. What's your Facebook? Put it on there. Yeah, on. my Facebook is, I think I think that's Josh Johnson because when I was trying to be Father Josh Johnson, they took out the father. But my Instagram is FR Josh Johnson. My Twitter is FR Josh Johnson as in Father Josh Johnson. Uh, and then I'm all into the podcast, Ask Father Josh. And I'm on Facebook under something. I don't know, Josh Johnson or Joshua Johnson or I'm not sure. Check him out. Um, but yeah. Follow um, him. And, and, and pray for me too because again, I really do want to be a saint and I recognize that like I am an imperfect priest and I, you know, I just, I don't want to go to hell. So make sure I get there to heaven. Hey, yeah. Not hell. Yeah. <laughs> Purgatory. No. Yeah. We want to get somewhere where yeah. it's not hot. That's not hot. All right. I think that's the end now for real. Bye. I'm so grateful to call that guy a friend. Such a blessing. So thank you everybody for listening to this episode. I pray that it's been a blessing to you and an encouragement to be able to just kind of rethink what it is that you want out of your parish. And that if you find yourself being frustrated, then go ahead and, and make some change and do things that you feel will make it better. With even within yourself, just take responsibility for being able to build the community that you desire. And if you happen to find yourself at a very good parish, then praise God and continue to serve your communities and the people of God and in those communities. I mean, man, we just all need to be better at evangelizing and, uh, and bringing others to the gospel, myself included. So thank you guys for listening to this show. Now that it is done, please don't forget to leave a comment there on Apple Podcasts specifically. It's such a tremendous blessing to be able to read those. And I pray that you all are having a great day. God bless everybody. Take care.